<laughs> what is it? You don't got no air in there? Nah, maybe we don't got AC. I, <laughs> I can see, I can see, I can see the perspiration happening right now as we as we speak. Well, word, peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you are tuned into episode episode. Thought I said the word wrong. Sixty two of the hashtag You Good Man Men's Wellness podcast. As always, I am joined by the good brother Michael Olenek who is been joining me now. We've been doing this consistently now for like, I want to say like five weeks. I'm not, I'm not used to this. We had a little week off, but I even managed to upload a previous episode of us. I'm not used to this level of consistency in my life. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the consistency, man. I, lo- I like that we throw this down every week. Were, were, yeah, it's, it's refreshing for, for me to, to be in conversation with you on a, on a weekly basis. Just, you know, somebody who I, I respect highly, of course, somebody I love, a, a, a good brother. And, and we need more of that, right? We need more healthy conversations with, with other brothers. I know that it's not necessarily something I get on a, on a day-to-day basis. A lot of times, and we've talked about this, so I'm not going to belabor the point, uh, the the inter- most interactions that I get with other brothers are at the gym and they're well-meaning, well-intentioned, but even, even, even still, I found myself falling into, to some of those, uh, I'm not going to say traps, I, I, but falling into behaviors. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, how I kind of explain this. And maybe I'll explain the situation, right? So, the gym that I go to, it's I call it South America, right? And and I and again, I don't I know there are women who listen here. This isn't to say that, oh, there's there's some ethnicity of women of women who looks better than the other. You know, I don't get into the the hierarchy of looks. You know, I don't even like I, I'm I'm going away from from complimenting people for hitting the genetic lottery. Like I'm going away from that. Right, because you literally had nothing to do with it. You look beautiful. You look amazing. Maybe I should say that to your parents, but not or or the donor or the egg or, but definitely not you, right? Because you had nothing to do with it, or maybe you did because you were the fastest swimmer out of a, a billion or so, <laughs> right? You was you was on the move, <laughs> so. Uh, but the, the gym I go to is is heavily populated with with women specifically from South America. And so with men, you think they've never seen uh, a woman who they've, they're attracted to. And, and so anytime there's one, and again, it's, it's plentiful in there, uh, but anytime, and again, here I am chuckling because it's, it's, I am human still, right? I am human and that's okay. Right. Where, but the brothers, the, the gawking, right. The, the comments to other brothers about the, the the physical stature of of a woman, and sometimes to my side, I just chuckle, right? If they say something to me, I just chuckle, and it's more so an uncomfortable chuckle, which again we mm-hmm. we talked about mm-hmm. that we're trying mm-hmm. to navigate, and then also, is this a the moment where I feel like teaching? Mm. Right. We have to we we have to always ask ourselves that. So for me in the gym, I'm, I'm about to squat 400 pounds and you make an, an off color comment that I may or may not chuckle to because I don't want to make it seem like I'm always um, like giggling like, oh, <laughs> that's a, or, or enabling in that way or affirming their perspective on it. But there are times when 
a part of that is just like, all right, yo, I'm gonna laugh just to get away from me, right? Just so you, but again, I understand how that could be perceived both by the individual, like, hey, we're in tune. When in actuality, we're probably not. Or, uh, uh, hey, this person can be beautiful, but to to make comments about specifically about the physique or, or, or things like that, it's just like, it's tired, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you and I relate. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like you said, it's tired and it's, and I totally hear you. And like, mine's like a little bit extra because sometimes, like I still have what I call the straight armor, right? I have, hmm. I have the things that I perfected growing up as someone who didn't know he was queer, but knew something was different, knew he didn't quite fit in with the rest of the guys. So like, listen, I can, I am always keyed into what's going on in sports, not even because I like sports, but because it is the easiest way in conversation with another like straight cis man to like find them at a level and get a feel. But when it comes to like teaching moments, yeah, I ain't going to do that at the gym. Probably. That's just not, it's not going to happen. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I do the same uncomfortable laugh, man. Like I'll talk, I was talking to one guy the other day and like most of the stuff we talk about is on the same point, but then he'll just go off these tangents when it comes to women and he loses me. Cause I'm just like, yeah okay i'm gonna walk <laughs> off now <laughs> you know what i mean and i don't think that point of awakening is tough for dudes like just the other day i was at the gym with my partner and men don't understand how they take up other people's personal space at the gym hmm. they don't get that like they think they're either oblivious or they think that like my manliness is going to give off so strong this woman's going to fall for me by standing so close to her you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's and, but there there have been times I, I will say where, and I remember one time in particular, it was it was a Saturday morning. It was a sister. She was definitely well endowed. She was in there, and it was this Jamaican older guy, and he just kept staring at her. Right. And so it's actually happened. I think I've intervened a few times, so I just wasn't a bystander all the all the time as it may appear. And she says something, right? And so instinctively, because number one, the gym for me, I look at that as being a, a safe space to, to intervene. I'll be honest, if this was on the street, would I intervene as quickly, given how America has 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 beaten into us this, I, in pun intended, this idea of violence any encounter is going to be potentially violent so you best stay away you best ignore you best to avoid right the same thing that got seinfeld and them locked up right the good samaritan they didn't <laughs> they didn't intervene but in this space it was just like hey sister you okay right are, are you good and it was just like yo he said he, and then he started trying to explain himself i'm like fam you ain't got nothing to explain right you just go ahead go about your business right just go about your business in and it, it wasn't for, for accolades, it wasn't for, but it was just the right thing to do, right? It's yeah. not to say she couldn't potentially protect herself, right? Because we, we got to protect black women, but it was more so of, I recognize somebody in distress, potentially, and I want her to know that she has an, a probationary ally who's willing to to intervene 
at any given moment, right? And she should have that yeah. comfort to know that she doesn't have to be uh, uh, psychologically and emotionally or physically accosted just because she's endowed in some capacity. And there was one other I- incident, and this one was, it was just, it was so problematic. It was where this this older white guy, again, it's full of women from South America, um, and he was literally recording uh, nah, right. Nah, and so, nah. yeah. And so for me, and, and it was, uh, you know how five o'clocks at the gym and I promise you, we're going to get to the conversation that we're going to have, but it was, you know, oh, how five o'clock at the, the gym. Exactly. 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 You know how, you know how five o'clock at the gym is where it's just like a thousand people in there and I'm sitting there watching him record like, in, a, in a, a slick way, which he thought was slick and wasn't as obvious. He was recording the one trainer. Uh, he was recording other women throughout. And I was just like, yo, fam, what you doing? He's like, oh, oh nothing. And uh, uh, I'm about to say a cop friend of mine. Let me let me stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who is a cop. <laughs> right? He's the, I have a friend who's a cop. He's not a cop friend. Right, he's a friend who just happened to be a cop, and I told him when he in uniform, I don't want to talk to you ever in life, because <laughs> I don't want to give the perception that I rock out or I believe in what you <laughs> what you do. But he told me about this guy had being kicked out from another, the same guy being kicked out from the gym, a different gym, because of similar behaviors, like this predatory stalking like behavior, and that caused literally a big scene in the gym. Um, again when we talk about what are systems going to do, they didn't mm. revoke his membership, mm. right? Mm. They just said, hey, they gave him a little slap on him. Don't do that anymore. Because why? Capitalism, money over everything. You got money still, man. Mo- money, over, money. money over any type of, of integrity. So, yeah, I just no, wanted I, to... I hear you. Go ahead. I hear you on all that because the way, the way that I usually... Because I do think men have a responsibility to mark themselves as safe to women. They have a responsibility to give off certain energy, give off certain words or phrases or actions that tell women that you're involved somewhat in the learning process, right? That you are trying to become, as you said, a better ally, a better person that can be relied on with other men involved. And the way I usually go about it at the gym is I'll talk to other women like since my partner mentioned how she's felt there, I've talked to other people and been like, how do you feel at times at this gym? And like most of them have said like, yeah, at times it can feel very cringy and very uncomfortable. And at that point, the way I stop being a bystander is I'll have a conversation with the gym owner. Like what kind of space do you want now? Like you said, like you said, capitalism is going to win. And the majority person at that gym is a bodybuilding male. So like, will it go anywhere? I don't know, but I want to at least, like you said, make it clear to women or femme presenting people at that gym that I'm a safe space, man. You can rely on me if you feel uncomfortable or like, like I'm all about like for my partner, like I tell her, I won't make a scene, but if you feel like people are encroaching your space, send me a message while we're at the gym. I'll just walk over because I guarantee you the second I get over there, the movement's going to change because they're going to respect my energy as a man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think the difficult, and, and that's a beautiful thing, right? This being able to have that conversation with, again with this gym in particular, uh, and it's a lot. It's, it's, it's heavily populated with individuals from 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 South America, and um, I'm trying to think what other countries are are heavy there. And and I live in Northeast Philadelphia, and it's and what I'm noticing is it just the demographic changing. So I like it just on my block in general. Like a lot of people from from Brazil, a lot of people from Colombia who are now moving onto my block. So it's only that they inhabit the the different spaces and 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 that I frequent, right? But then it's just like the language barrier to even be able to communicate that, right? Mm. Like it's, and this is where we talk about how important proximity is, which you, which you identify. Like I've, I, I have one friend, she's Asian, um, Mary, and again, gym friends, and she's younger. She's, she's in her, her twenties. And she said, she said to me one time, she said, Phil, thank you for never making me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Right. And it was just like, because I look at her like, I mean, you once you start getting in your, thir- your late 30s, your early 40s, and you come across 20-something-year-olds, like, damn, I could be your dad if, if I got it popping at, <laughs> and got it popping at like 13 or 14, right? Uh, and so that's how I, I approach it, right? And I, again, just my energy in, in different spaces. I'm, I'm not that person. I'm not that brother who's just going to be uh, overtly sexual and... In, 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 um, problematic in that type way aggressive and so when she said that so i was like wait what you what you mean because again i'm just thinking i'm just being me she's like yeah just was in particular i had this one guy and he just kept fine trying to have conversations with me and you're just not like that right like you you just laugh joke we bust it up and it's you never make me feel uncomfortable in that way and it was just like yeah, because we we should be able to exhibit that mm. type of energy, and we should be able to have healthy relationships with with people with differing gender identities without this idea, this American uh, colonial idea of hypersexuality that's promoted in literally everything that that we do. Yeah, not everything's just because there's a mixture of genders doesn't mean there's anything sexual that needs to exist. Like, not everything's a sexual moment. It just isn't. Like, it, yeah. it just isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, th- I appreciate everybody for for indulging us for those first fifteen minutes. <laughs> but, yeah, a little warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it, but it also it, it goes into this idea of the the father wound that we were had started to talk about a little bit last week as we as we talked about men and connectedness or a lack thereof and like the origins of that and so the week prior we i replayed the podcast from 2020 which had the good brother zane with us as well where we we started talking about the father wound and for those who aren't familiar with the father wound just so what it is is we're talking about the the damage that's done when there is a a absent or abusive father. And so this can be physically absent. This can be emotionally absent. This can be psychologically absent. And, and just the effects that that can take, that can have on a brother. And, and one of the things that we just got finished talking about was this idea of hyper-masculinity that definitely comes from that can come from a father who is who hasn't done the work themselves or a father who who wasn't present yeah 
Absolutely. I mean, that hyper-masculinity, and then say, say the father is absent in some way. What fills that gap? Your peers. And who are your peers, probably? They're probably dealing with an absent father to some degree, too, for the most part, man, because let's be fair, like most most men that have been raising kids up until maybe the last, I don't know, I'd say maybe the last 10, 15 years, not even, maybe 10, five, we've started talking about the need for a more emotional depth from fathers and like having that kind of access. So listen, if you grew up in the 90s, there's a good chance your dad did not have the emotional depth that you needed to find an accurate representation of masculinity. You did. He was yeah. living off the same tropes that he gave to you. And unfortunately, if that hole isn't there, getting filled by him, it's your peers are filling it in. They, they, listen, teenagers, they don't know what's up. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're going to the, the, your, your friends, your peers are going to fill whatever gap is there. It could be the smallest of <laughs> smallest of gap. Right. Exactly. They're going to they're going to hop in and they're just going to multiply and it, they're going to widen it right to where there is it. Because that's just what you do at that age. You don't necessarily have that level of awareness. You have impulsivity. We we're worried about our peer connectedness at that age. So it's only right that 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 takes place now. But when we couple that with the the absence of a of a primary parent, uh, particularly because yes, you you can have an, an amazing an amazing stepfather, right? You can have a, an amazing male influence, but there is something to be said about that that birth father specifically and their absence, whether it's it's by natural causes or but just their their lack of ability to to be present, right? While they're still while they're still inhabiting the earth that will undoubtedly impact you. So for me, it was, it became pronounced this weekend. Like I, I started on in pre-production, we just, as we always do, and I didn't hit record. I started talking about just like, just tired, uh, a bit exhausted, like emotionally exhausted. I had a hell of a weekend emotionally. Right. And a part of it, I contribute to this idea of the father wound. My my biological father, God bless the dead, he was absent, physically absent, and he was trying to, as he was trying to navigate his life. It wouldn't be till I, I learned about him at age eighteen by sitting down with him. And he was like, "Yo, I remember one time I was so high, I was in front of the judge, and it was like, who the fuck are you to judge me? And I was like, maybe that's where I get it from a little bit, right? Like this, <laughs> this, this pushback to authority. Right now, I wasn't battling addiction in that way, but it is one of the reasons why I'm hyper aware of my relationship with things like alcohol or or ed and edibles to to that effect. But one of the ways that I that I I've compensated and overcompensated probably is the relationship that I have with my 14-year-old daughter and my soon-to-be two-year-old son, where any type of rejection from them impacts me. Like, I'm a feeler by nature, which, again, could be potentially as a result of the father wound and, and, and having to navigate that. But any type of slight rejection from them, I'm just all up in here. Right. I'm all up in my chest. I'm questioning if I'm a good father. I always talk about people say, Phil, you got these degrees. You're doing amazing things in the community. I said, I don't give a fuck about any of that. What do my kids think of me? Right. Like, it, even though I know and I always look for validation, that's another aspect of it, too. 
where I don't look for validation through through sexual conquest or maybe part of my academic achievement is a result of just being successful and, and validation that maybe was a result of of not having earlier on. But I always look for my to my co-parents for validation that I'm a good father. <laughs> right. Because in my heart of hearts, I don't believe that I am. If we're being fully transparent and it's not because I'm co-parenting and it's some, a little bit of distance, but not a lot. But it just feels like. um, Again, hypercritical of myself and I can be doing everything right, but I'm never going to feel like I, I am because ultimately I, if, if something happens in their life going forward and it's just like, damn, what was my role in it? Right. And again, these are things that I'm that I'm I'm working out on my own because I know I, I I'm a hell of a father to to the both of them and just navigating the stresses and pressures as navigating depression. That's part of the depression and anxiety where it it offers up these these narratives that are so unhealthy, that are so not real, that it can at times make it difficult for you to see the truth, to see the reality. I know yesterday, <laughs> so I, my daughter, I, I, I bought her a phone, right? I, and part of buying her a phone, she was to do this eight week program and she didn't do it after the first day. It was, it was centered in black liberation, black lives matter at school. She was gonna get to listen to some amazing speakers, Dr. Carr, Kamika Royal, whose book is over one of my shoulders. I was like, yo, I'll get you a phone if you do it. She did it for one day. <laughs> then, and then it was just like, then she hit me with, daddy, but I really need a phone. It's, you know, it is Apple. So, you know, she has an iPhone XR. So that's about to be on the fritz soon. So I ended up ordering her an iPhone 14. Of course, I got a discount on it because I don't pay full price for anything. But I sent it. So she got it yesterday. She called me. I missed the call. Call back like se like seventeen times, no answer, right? And I'm just like, the shit hurts, yeah. And I think that's part of where we forget that we're human beings as, as parents as well. And I know I've talked about a lot of things, but we forget that we're human beings as well. So, but I'm also trying to show grace and recognize. Listen, she's 14. She doesn't give a damn about me. She she done called her friends. Hey, I'm calling you from my new phone, <laughs> right? But as far as like daddy and there's something to be said about, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get up in her. I'm going to get on her. Like, yo, what, why haven't I heard from you? Like, especially to say thank you. Cause just to, to show appreciation and, and respect and love. And it's not to say that she doesn't, but part of, of, of that father wound is relying on your child for, uh, emotional sustenance. Right. Um, overly uh, relying on them. And so for me, it's, it's always been, again, with, with a situation like this, I, well, I mean, is she just using me for a cell phone? Like that thought popped in my head. Like she only loves me when I do certain things for her. I know that's not the truth. I know when we're together and we're, sh we're sharing time, I know that her level of comfort to be able to ignore me is a result of me being always there. 
<laughs> so it's like a level of comfort. Like, hey, man, fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know you're going to be here, dog. I'm, I, I love you. know I love you. I'm so comfortable that I don't have to, to try and seek your love. Does that mm. make sense? I know I've said a lot there. Yeah, no. And I... Let me let me try to jump in on this. Yeah, you gotta you gotta unpack that. This is a therapeutic <laughs> session. <laughs> our, our our narratives of love are severely impacted by our parents, right? And they're our first attachment figures. They're the people we learn to hopefully build secure attachment with. When that doesn't happen, we're left without a narrative, and we're left with all these these questions like you were describing like the am i good enough yeah that absolutely comes out of like i so first is like i hold nothing against my parents zero there's no anger there's no you should have done better yeah. there's simply they were human and they didn't have the skills or the tools necessary to to meet me where i was they just didn't they weren't given to them so why should i expect them to have them they, both single parents. My mom was less in the picture. My dad tried to raise two single boys, but he lacked emotional depth, man. We didn't hug in that household. We didn't say, I love you in that household. You were always kind of left guessing or you were left to measure yourself up against expectations. Hmm. Right. It was always about, okay, well, am I following this rule? Am I meeting this expectation? which of course is going to bring about these questions of, am I good enough? Yeah. Because me as I am just in the world without the things I need to do to meet expectations, that's already been explained to my small child brain at the age of six. Like, no, you as yourself is not enough to be worthy of love. Hmm. Obviously. Neither, where are your parents at, bro? <laughs> what are they doing? They're not sending you signals. So I can totally relate. Like, yeah, I don't have kids, but I know that the question of am I good enough in terms of relating to others in the matters of love absolutely comes out of my my relationship with my dad or relationship with my mom or just not having, I didn't have, I wasn't given that reassurance. Yeah. So now I see it, now I search it. And the work now is realizing like when that need for reassurance is a healthy need. And when it's one that is purely coming out of like that attachment wound, when is it me just, cause like, do I want my partner closer? Cause I want security to quiet that wound or do I want my partner closer? Cause I want my partner closer. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I can totally relate to all those things. And I, I I'm glad to hear that you do have a, a view of yourself that like parents are humans. Like you, I'm sure you're, I don't, I've never seen you interact with your kids, right? But I know for certain that you're a solid father. Yeah. Because yeah. it's easy. I can see how you carry yourself in the world. <laughs> I see how you talk about them. There is there is energy there that says that you are like securely attached to your kid. And the whole reason that she can like blow you off for 17 missed calls is because she feels secure attachment with you. She exactly. knows you're solid. Uh, yeah. She knows you're a rock. So she doesn't have the insecure thoughts. So almost like, you've done such a good job that your insecurity doesn't make sense to her. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. what do you mean? Indeed. <laughs> like, and like she doesn't have a, she doesn't have a playbook for that. She's like, what do you mean? You're my dad. Of course we're good. Yeah. And you're like, but are we, 
Are we good? <laughs> yeah. And, and again, and, and that goes into when we start to understand things like child development, right? So my 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 daughter, her her grandmother, who I'm talking about, she's now like we're Facebook friends and Miss Karen's always good people. She might be watch this, right? She's always supportive and things like that. She's been sending me like old pictures and videos of my daughter. And it was just like, oh, you love, you did love dad, didn't you? And it was just like, in, in a way that was, in an in a overt, simplistic way that infants and toddlers and young children do, right? It gets a little bit more complex or what becomes more complex is just our, how we think about it, right? And, mm-hmm. and recognizing that, they are their own individual. My daughter's mom always reminds me, she's like, and again, I, I have two great co-parents who do a lot of reassuring. Like if I'm feeling some type of way, like I'll text them like, man, why she, why she ain't, you know, it's like, yo, you taught her to, they remind me like, yo, you taught her to be this way. Like, <laughs> re, like, cause one of the things was like, I would never tell her because I said so. Cause I don't mm. want to stifle her voice in any type of way. If, if she asks me 10 times, I'm going to give her the, the, the reasoning might shorten as the, as the times come, but I always want her to feel like heard. And again, when we talk about just the suppression of voices that starts in the home. Right. And so, yeah. and so part of that was also just this recognition that she's not my vanity project, right? Mm. She's not going to be, mm. and we see it so often look no further than again we talked about sports earlier where you want somebody to to accomplish more than you did so we start putting folk in aau tournaments we want them to be the best basketball player when we start to unpack why it's just because oh i didn't have the opportunity to do that instead Mm -hmm. of hey they might be interested in something else and just give uh, allowing them the space to explore who they are we again we forget that they are their own person. And that's something that I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've impressed upon her. Like you are your own person. Even if it, it makes me feel some type of way, as long as it's not harming me in any type of way, you make decisions for you. Yeah. I and, love that you don't, you don't bring in the, because I said so. Cause it, it as soon as you said that, I mean, I felt like whew, getting taken back here, getting taken yeah. back. <laughs> but I can clearly remember a time I was in middle school, probably seventh or eighth grade. I mean, I was starting to get into drugs at this point. So like my dad had reasons, right? He had reasons to be how he was. Uh, but I remember we lived on the third floor of an apartment building and I was in this parking lot below looking at our porch and my dad's on the porch looking down at me and my friends and he yells at me, respect my authority. I remember my friends just standing there and being like, what does that even mean? Even yeah. me sitting there, I was like, "Like, how am I supposed to take this? And it made me think about how like, parenting of that age was that you gave me respect because I simply existed as your parent. I was your biological parent. Therefore, you give me respect. Whereas parenting is moving into a, a better place of being like, no, you give me respect because I've shown you that like I give you respect that like I've established, like they talk about in attachment theory, a secure base for you. Like 
you see that you can float out into the world and come back and it's going to be the same. Nothing's going to change. So, but me growing up, it was, there was no, he wasn't putting enough deposits in to make withdrawals. You know what I (laughs) mean? (laughs) There was insufficient funds in there spiritually and emotionally. I had no reason to respect because I didn't even know why was I respecting you because you have power and control because you know me, that don't work. (laughs) (laughs) That don't work for me as a person. So like, I think that's great that you don't operate on the, because I said so, because that is so damaging. It teaches the children, nothing. How, what does that mean? It's an empty statement. Yeah. Well, and and I attribute part of that (laughs) to, um, my household wasn't steeped in religiosity. Mm. I, I think that's definitely part of it where we're talking about whether it's, you know, Christianity, whether it's, it's Islam and, and how this power dynamic is supposed to exist within the household, within the, the family structure. You have everybody honors God, then you honor the father, then it's the mother, and then the children pick up the rear. People don't rec- recognize when those things were written and, mm. and what it looked like for children during that time. We, we can't ignore the fact that children have just begun to to get rights yeah talk <laughs> right? about that it's like this huge, is it man. and people yeah. people under underscore that man like it, it that's a real thing like we yeah. don't we don't respect children of being actual children <laughs> we don't they're their labor they were labor for a very long time and we're starting to see some legislation where they're starting to roll back yeah, uh there we go uh the the ages of of when children are uh, allowed to work so you can get your working permit at at one point it was 16 now it's like 14 in different places because we need more people to become spacely space progress we need to get we need more cogs in the wheel to to be able to do this but we recognize we recognize that children were merely property mm. for 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 so long in in certain cultures well, now in other if you go straight from the religion standpoint, women and children are property. Well, exactly. Exactly. It's funny you bring up religion because if I think about my dad, we weren't religious, but my dad grew up in an Irish Catholic household. So absolutely that influenced how he saw his authority as a parent. It's God given even if he doesn't think that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this was even if he's not aware of that, he's operating from the space of like, no, no, no. I saw how my dad and mom did it. So this is how I'm gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and it's not necessarily about survival, because I know p- certain people go, but well, what about in in people love using Africa as examples for for child labor? And it's like, well, we're talking about survival here. <laughs> so all hands are on deck when yeah. we're trying to to survive. And again, we're not even we're not even talking about modern day. We're talking about past, but you know, we're talking about enslavement in certain places where again the iPhone that I bought, I'm sure the the materials were were farmed by somebody less than my daughter's age. Mm. It's a it's an unreal it's it's a it's a realistic problematic aspect of it. But again, we're talking about this idea of survival as opposed to Hey, you're just cleaning up the house because I said so, and this is your responsibility. And you get whatever food I give you. You go sleep in the in the basement. We'll pawn you off or sell you off. Um, and so 
when we talk about just just this this shift and that we we see that a lot of people have difficulties with this shift in recognizing that children are their own person mm -hmm. like we give this arbitrary and it, there's no we however just for all intents and purposes right now we give this arbitrary age of 18 of being an adult right it's just like okay now you can make decisions on your own mm. <laughs> and it's just like we just generally disregard uh things like now we we've gotten better at having discussions about body autonomy healthy touch versus bad touch and yada 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 but what about just being our ability to say no children mm. ability to say no i don't i don't want to do that didn't you tell me one time that you you told your daughter that she's allowed to tell certain people not to give her a hug in her family or like a kiss. Was that you who had a conversation with that one time? No, 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 no. Uh, but I'm, okay. I'm on that same type time where it's like, there is a consent. Yeah, some people will be clutching their pearls at that comment. Like if you told aunt so-and-so, nah, she don't want a hug. And so-and-so might be like, what do you mean? We give hugs. And like, but that idea of that a 10 year old can be like, no, this is my body. Like I didn't have that. Kind you know of what we we did have, we have that. We, we did yeah, have yeah. a we had a conversation, and because I remember Brittany Cooper, salute to Brittany Cooper. I was on a panel with with her, and this was during the pandemic with her, uh, Damon Young, Alati Farmer, a couple other good people, and I was talking about my daughter and our physical interactions and how now she and it started it was the pandemic, so she was probably about ten, eleven. She, I kissed her so much as a child, right? Like I'm the dad that's my son is the same way. I kiss him 75 times. If he comes, <laughs> give me a hug. I'm kissing. I'm, I'm doing that nonstop. It, it, now it's if it, even it, it was, it's cute. It's still cute. The fact that she does it. I'm like, all right, baby, give me a hug. She'll put her head out and I, and I kiss the top of her head. So it's not kissing her cheek or anything like that. Like I used to do is she'll put her head out and like, come here, give her, a... but this is, this is the nuance of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so that's the whole thing, relationship, yeah. man, we, yeah. I didn't have a relationship with my dad. I haven't a relationship with my mom. That, that didn't exist. Yeah. There was rules and obligations, man. That ain't, that ain't a relationship. There was no and emotional. It, there was emotional connection in the sense of I knew that was my father and I was his son, but that ain't enough. <laughs> that ain't enough. And that's when you have the empathy where it's just like the safety first survival for them. Right. And, and, and maybe thriving will never be on certain people's agenda. They don't they'll never feel comfortable enough to, to go from living to thriving, to be able to to experience all the the. the the psychological and emotional joys of things like connectedness and, and releasing this idea of masculinity. And then it's also a safety component attached mm. to it as well. A lot of parents look at it as I just want you, this is a dangerous world because the media has done a wonderful job in telling us how fucked up this world is. Even though America is probably one of this, even with the gun violence problem that it ha undoubtedly has, it's still one of the safest countries to be in in the world. But we don't think about that because of how the media 
perpetuates this idea of consistent violence that that takes place. And so as a parent, it's just like uh, my job is to keep you safe. Mm. My job is to keep you safe. And so you can grow up so you can have an opportunity to grow up. Now, if you're growing up and, and surviving as well, then you just got to do the work on your own. But it's my responsibility to get you from point A to point B, because I will know I won't be here forever. And I need you to, to be able to sustain yourself. Again, we yeah. look at it from a, a, a capitalistic perspective. Uh -huh. I need to make sure you got a job and make sure you got stability in that way. If you work fucked ethic. up. Exactly. If you fucked up work emotionally. Ethic. <laughs> or psychologically, then hey, that's on you. But I, but I did my job. It reminds me of, of I'm gonna say his his TV name because that's the one that we we love and respect. Heathcliff Huxtable, when he did the the experiment with with Theo, and and Theo, I believe it was the was a Monopoly or something like that, and it was playing his rent, and Theo went through this whole soliloquy or monologue and was like. Dad, I just don't. Why can't you just accept me for me? And and I, I remember he was like, Theo, that is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. And he concluded with, "I brought you in this world. I'll take you out." Mm, classic. Classic. And then you're like, like you felt it because it. Listen, it is in moments you feel like that. You know what? I, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. But then it's like, well, what the hell is that? Why yeah. is that so problematic? Why Theo being emotionally expressive as a teenage black boy living in New York City, him emoting to you and your response was to shut it down, no matter how 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 uh, unrealistic what he was saying about uh, and, and you having more awareness about the realities of the world. Why couldn't his feelings be validated in that moment mm. in time? Yeah, and it's like you said, this idea of safety and why, I mean, this brings us to the systemic level of it, man. We don't, most parents, like, like let's take working class parents, which my parents were. It was a single parent household trying to provide for two boys. So at that point of survival, like you talked about, like, yeah, we ain't hunter gatherers anymore, but we're still trying to survive. And conditions can be in such a way that like survival is my dad, when it came to parenting, he made sure there was food. He made sure we had clothes. Yeah. Right. The basics, they were there. And that's because like, again, part of it was like, he was a single dad working, trying to support two kids. My mom didn't give him money. Yeah. So like when we look at the systemic stuff, just like with the, the Huxtable reference you made. Yeah. Like he's sitting there thinking, well, it's dangerous for an emotionally expressive young black boy to exist in the world. So I might as well crush that now so that you see that that's not an avenue for you. Instead of having like the nuance to be like, how do I encourage this while also teaching him the conditions of the world? Hmm. Teaching, I think teaching is at the center of parenting. Yeah. If your parenting doesn't have teaching in it, then your parenting's missing something. I know I say that as someone that isn't a parent, but I still stand by that statement. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I'll affirm it for, for sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely affirm it. And when we, so when we talk about solutions, when it comes to, to the father one, and you brought up just the messaging that you got from, from your father, whether directly or, or indirectly, how do you go about and how have you gone about, I don't want to say a race because I, mm -hmm. I think a race is because you can't erase it. 
right? This is like um, magic, permanent magic marker. It literally could be <laughs> something that you're navigating for the rest of your life. But how do you put white out over it? Because you know, you can put a little white, you know it's there underneath, but you put a little white out under it. Sometimes if you put too much white out on it, it starts to crumble a little bit, start to break, you start to see some of the letting. So how do you navigate that? How do you manage that? Uh, how do I manage that? So first on the erase thing, I also want to say that even the somewhat poor messaging I received still taught me certain skills that can be used in life to survive. So I will, like, I'll give, I'll give that to that. Should it be the main coping strategy I use? No. So like, how do I cope? How do I, what are the solutions in that? I think the first solution in, in that was actually forgiving my dad. The first solution was recognizing his humanity, yeah. which took a little bit, right? Cause I, listen, I was on drugs from the age of 12 to 19. So like our relationship was complicated, right? So I think the first thing was like seeing that single fatherhood, recognizing that he did not have the skills he was not given them just like plenty of men aren't given them to be a father who has emotional depth and can sit there in moments of vulnerability and on, on discomfort and talk about things that are heavy and hard so first i recognize that and then from there it's kind of recognizing that voice when it starts like the remnants the ghosts i always like calling them ghosts when things that aren't in the path in the present come up in my brain and kind of just giving myself a sense of gentleness in that. Like when I think I need to be doing more, because that's yeah. the main thing my dad beat into my head. I need to be doing more because like he yeah. hook, line and sinker into the American work ethic, man. That's just what he believed in. So like remembering that I don't need to be doing more. And then the final thing for me is working with men. Like I can get better with my father wound and my attachment wounds by working with men and helping them see the same awareness, yeah. helping them get to a point where they too can let, because every time I help someone let down those coping strategies that we don't need to use as much anymore, it helps me continue to let them down. Like being in that, con like sitting here with you is healing, right? Because yeah. we, we are creating a space that allows us to really suss out these nuances and figure out what we want to leave behind and what we want to move forward with. Yeah, I, I think you highlighted some 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 critical steps that should be taken when we're trying to navigate the the impact uh, our fathers have had on or had on us. Starting with the latter, this identity, uh, this idea of seeking support, whether it's through being in conversation with myself on a podcast, whether it's starting your own men's group, to be able to to navigate your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and assisting others in navigating their their own and also seeking some type of a therapeutic intervention if you find that it is impacting your your quality of life I, even before that it's just identifying like hey this doesn't feel good mm. what could be the origins of this and this is again where we talk about that idea of support groups men's groups and other types of of therapeutic intervention uh, letting go of that that blame that you may have felt or that you feel 
a lot of us when whether it's a, a a failed relationship between between parents you automatically think or between um co-parents parents what have you hey it's my fault especially when you're young you you take on that blame and then that blame just sits and manifests and it can impact you impact your relationships as you go as you go forward then we're talking about for me it was important of important for me to get to know my father even if it's just in a in a limited capacity of seeing him as an adult <laughs> where i'm on this couch uh, i'm sitting there with with the girl that i was crushing on for like 75 years in the crib and we listening to him talk and it was like that forgiveness like damn dog your shit was fucked up like you wasn't necessarily in a position to be able to care for me because you couldn't care for yourself. That doesn't excuse it, but I understand it a, a lot more. And I, yeah, I, I forgive you. And then it's, and then just learning more. And because I, I really don't even, again, my father has been has been deceased now since I want to say two thousand and nine. So going on on fourteen years or so. And prior to, he had met my daughter's mother. She was pregnant with my daughter uh, and and my stepson's son is as well. And just seeing he was excited to be a grandfather. <laughs> he was a, he, even though it was short lived, he didn't get the, to, to, to meet my daughter in that in that way and be able to engage with her. But even when I think about my stepfather much better grandparent <laughs> than <laughs> being a a a leader in and and being a father figure that I needed in that moment in time but even with him the forgiveness that I've offered him because now I see growing up in the south I see how his relationship was with his father who was a a taskmaster who was extremely mm. violent and now I see how he's he's come around to to say well you know I love you right and and or I'm proud of you and to be able to hear that because he could tell he would tell everybody else and like my mom be like he tells everybody you're a doctor and this like that and he's proud of you but to hear him say it to me that was like a revelation but also a part of this of this forgiveness a part of the me allowing that when that that eight year old me pops up to just hug him and say fam it's okay i know how you felt that's why it's a show and they're not going to renew it because fuck hollywood <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a show called david makes man and fam listen it's it's when you talk about the the father wound when you talk about a black boy navigating to to be a black man so it goes from him being a uh, David, who's a teenager in Florida, navigating his mother's addiction to prescription pills. He's he's parentified, raising his younger brother, JG, and they're in like a, a pro the projects. Um, his his father figure is a, a guy named Sky who he sees get killed. He's nav and he's he's extremely brilliant which again is the case for so many of our of our black and brown boys. He ends up going to a, a magnet school where uh, Claire Huxtable is his, I believe his teacher. I believe, yeah, I believe she's a teacher and she's nav he's navigating all of this. The second season, he's a full-blown adult, which 
we don't necessarily see in in television series. Usually it's like some chronological uh, instead of like a, 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 a an overt push to the future to where he's now in his his early 30s. But what will happen is the teenage David will pop up in situations mm. and and he'll be and he might be silent as an adult at 35 standing there not saying anything and the, the teenage him say yo man you you, you should punch them in the face you going you got to strike first <laughs> right and so with with that but one of the most powerful scenes and it is on my social media or you can just google david makes man therapy he finally goes to therapy uh he went there he would go not say nothing like so many of us do he finally went there and she's sitting there having a conversation with them and the teenage David is there telling him, don't, don't say nothing, don't do anything. And she's like, I need you to, to go in deeper. I need you to go in deeper. What are you seeing? Who's there? And the camera pans to like a five-year-old him with a tear in his eye. And the teenage one runs to go hug him and protect him. Mm. Right? And so it's it's probably one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in television because it encapsulates what so many of us, regarded of 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 race or ethnicity, that we're navigate navigating from from boyhood to to manhood. How when these these younger us pops up, how we're so quick to suppress it. Mm-hmm. So we're so quick to give in to whatever that coping strategy was for that time that served us well. I'm going to I'm I'm going to Birmingham, Alabama, and tomorrow, and you'll hear everybody will hear this the, the day that you'll hear this. And so, for me, going into public settings, I could be amazing. I could be funny. I can be engaging. I can be. I'm not going to say the life of the party. But I could be gregarious and, and all of those other adjectives. But then a part of it, me is the 10 year old me who in the classroom, I'm sitting in the back of the class. I'm, I don't want to say anything. I like staying to myself. And it's what's going to happen is I'm going to be in this setting with these these journalists and I'm going to feel a little part of me is going to feel inadequate. And that 10 year old me is going to say, oh, just go back to the hotel, man, and go lay down. <laughs> And I'm going to have to acknowledge him. I'm going to have to hug on him. I'm going to have to love him and say, yo, you all right now. You got the skills needed to deal with this, to, to cope with this situation. I got you. I'm going to hold your hand as we progress through this. All right. So and and I, I know I started I, I went off on a, on a tangent, but all of this came from the beginning steps to getting to know my father and, and just understand who he is and who he was when we talk about this idea of closure and I will get your perspective, get your final thoughts on it. For me, closure isn't a guarantee, right? Closure isn't, you're not going to necessarily be able to have these final conversations with people to, to be able to say, to, to get this information, to be able to find out more about your father in that way. I may not have had the opportunity <laughs> at 18 to be able to have this conversation with them, to be able to help, me understand me a little bit more, but for, for, I'm not going to even call it closure, but just a healthy practice that when I work with men who, who are navigating father wound issues, 
would be to write him a letter. Like getting those feelings out in a in a healthy way. Not we're not talking about the gym where some physical exertion, but we're talking about literally writing a letter and getting your feelings out about what you experienced. And and you can give it to them. If they're not here, you can burn it, you can mail it, you can just keep it. But being able to get those get that information out, get those thoughts, feelings, and emotions out onto wax, onto paper. Is it can be game changing because it has been for for so many. What do you? What's your what's your idea of of closure? Is or is it really a thing? So closure, uh, I don't think it's a thing in the way that we like to think of it as, in the sense of a nice bow, completion. Yeah. It's over. It's a wrap. You can close that and forget about it forever. I think closure instead feels like the ability to hold something that at one point dragged you down to the very floor. Hmm. And instead it's just a part of you. Now you move through the world with it in your heart yeah. and it, it's something you feel, but it's something, you know, you've made a relation. It's like you were talking about reconciling with the old versions of yourself. Like you have decided to tread into that space where you now know that six-year-old or that 10-year-old version of yourself. You understand their hurt. You understand that wound so that it isn't this big, bad thing. It doesn't have to send you into dysregulation where you give up on everything and go hide. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, closure. What does closure look like between me and my dad? I think it's still in progress. Because sometimes, like, listen, he's had... He, he remarried and married a younger woman and has another kid who's 16 now, who's a girl. And it has been interesting to watch him parent her. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's been a very different, actually, let me scratch that. It was different until she became a teenager and then boom, I saw my dad. Mm. It's funny how that works. Like there's still some work there for him. Cause when I see him trying to fix, manage, control her life, I'm like, there he is. <laughs> there's that guy he's not completely this new emotional because sometimes i gotta draw boundaries on how much he wants to talk about things because i'm allowed to say like yeah i've done that work and i need you to do some more work on it before you want to keep pushing into the conversation because yeah. i'm not ready for that i think that's a big thing to like remember is that like just because someone has changed you can still like slow dose that back into your life. You don't gotta, you don't gotta just, you don't gotta just bring them right on in. And then like, last thing I want to say on that is, is we are proof that you can mend from the father room. So like the men out there that are like, it's too hard. It's too this. I can't do that. Like you're wrong. Cause these, these two men on the screen have done that and continue to do that. So it is possible for you to get that sense of closure too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important if they, if they say you can't do it, understanding what's what's pushing this narrative that you can't because mm. it, it's, it's not necessarily you. It's your it's nah. your experiences throughout your, your lifetime that are impacting how you show up today. And that's why it's so important to, to show yourself grace. It's important to 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 learn how because it's easy to say show yourself grace. It's important to learn how to show yourself grace because this isn't something that's that's just innate. 
show yourself love on yourself show yourself how to to be loved so you can find find that gentleness you didn't receive and give it to yourself exactly exactly it sounds simple but that really is that's the game man we can't i do feel this last thing i'll say i do feel like we've gotten confused about like how our parents have let us down on a more like majority narrative on that where we think we can just blame and we can just be like well they did this to me nah fam you're an adult now that doesn't have any bearing this is your work now it's not your parents work <laughs> like you can't you can't just point the finger and but but they did this they may have but guess what let's 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 move out of that let's take a new road that you get to choose yeah yeah and it, again it doesn't excuse it Right. But hopefully we you understand it. And and then likewise, is if it does have that significant of, a, of impact on you, it doesn't excuse your behavior. But we under <laughs> we're able to understand it just a little bit more. And it's just like, OK, now how do we potentially move forward in a way that's less devastating to ourselves? And, and, and again, we don't live in a vacuum we don't we don't operate in a vacuum the impact of your of the father wound is is not only impacting an individual a a, a man as somebody a a self-identifying man as a father but it's impacting you in your romantic relationships it's impacting you in your friendships it's impacting you at work it's impacting you spiritually it's impacting you on on every level it's so it's not as it's as I always say it's bigger than nino brown it's bigger than self it's literally community and impacting mm. the world around you because none of us live in isolation so we're all impacted by the unhealed father wounds of of others damn that was i like that one that was a, that was a good one this was a <laughs> that was, this was a good one this was a good That's one, where you man. Go and we'll wrap it up right Ex- there. Exactly. <laughs> if my mic wasn't connected to the table, I would I would <laughs> drop it. I'm about to unscrew it and drop it. No, this was this was a good one. This was well well needed. Um, I got a call from my mama. I thought it was gonna be from my daughter, uh, but I <laughs> I was hoping I believe that would have been like triple good news. But um, <laughs> but no, I, I definitely appreciate you coming through. How can the people reach you? usual i'm only on ig sisyphean absurdity one day i'll explain what that means on this podcast just for phil's sake uh <laughs> but yeah that's all that's the only place you can find me right now we're we're and as always you can reach me on all the socials at phil underscore roundtree don't forget to subscribe to this podcast the hashtag you good man podcast share with a brother who can benefit like you leave a comment even if it's a negative comment it still makes the algorithm go so i am here for it until next week peace